here today. Uh, we have this uh, sermon handout uploaded on our website, so that'll give you the basic outline of the sermon. We also have the manuscript uploaded there as usual. So maybe if I'm speaking too fast or you, you needed to follow along or you want to refer to it later, it's there available for you. Also, we have slides to help you follow along. So if you haven't already done this, the best thing might be to put me and the slides side by side on your device's screen as you watch. So are you ready? Amen. Um, like I said, there's no more crucial time that we need to be the church right now. And so these days we're working through the book of 2 Corinthians. Today's sermon is titled True Apostles versus False Apostles. And our scripture for today is 2 Corinthians 11 verses 1 through 15. We're in this section of this letter where Paul has been addressing a small group within the church of Corinth that's been questioning Paul's authority as an apostle to them. There were other men who had come who were far more impressive outwardly, more eloquent, more charismatic, more talented, and they were casting doubt on Paul because he really didn't measure up to them. So Paul shared his confidence that he was a servant of Christ and he did not need to compare himself to others. He sought after the Lord's commendation alone in his ministry. Paul's uh, continued defense as a true apostle uh, is in today's passage. He contrasts himself with the false apostles who are opposing him. And so let's go ahead and read today's passage. This is God's word from 2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 through 15. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you all, um, plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows that I do. And what I'm doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that their boasted mission they work on, uh, that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Amen. So Paul's main point from this passage of scripture can be summarized in this way. This is the one thing that we can take to heart today. Discern the true gospel 
gospel of Christ and live it out together as a church. There are three things that Paul did in order to help the church in Corinth to discern the true gospel of Christ and, and live it out together as a church. First, he distinguished the true gospel of Christ in verses 1 through 6. Second, he demonstrated the true gospel of Christ in verses 7 through 11. And third, he defended the true gospel of Christ in verses 12 through 15. So let's pray one more time and ask the Lord for his grace uh, as we receive his word today. Heavenly Father, we simply say that we need you. We are in need of your grace today and every day. And even though this format of gathering together online might not be so ideal, we know that you are real and sovereign and at work in us. May you work in our hearts in extraordinary ways today, ways that can only be attributed to your Holy Spirit. May it be for your glory alone and always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, church, let's discern the true gospel of Christ and live it out together as a church first by seeing how Paul distinguished the true gospel of Christ. In verses 1 through 6, he made clear that the message his opponents preached was different than the true gospel of Christ that he preached as a genuine apostle. For this point, I'm going to highlight specifically this truth number one. Our goal as a church is to stay on the path of sincere and pure devotion to Christ until he returns. In verse one, Paul wrote this, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. So why was this foolishness? Actually, Paul was using a bit of irony here, turning, the, uh, turning his opponent's criticism of him into the very reasons why they should accept him and accept his message. Basically, Paul would engage in this foolish talk in order to show that it was his opponents that were actually the fools. In verse 6, he said that even though he might not be as skilled as a speaker, he was skilled in knowledge, in knowing the gospel and its implications in people's lives. This was Paul's special set of skills as an apostle to the Gentiles. What he did here was he was pointing out strongly who they were as a church and what they were called to be doing. And so first, let's talk about who they were as a church, according to Paul. Paul considered himself as a father. That was in verse four, he, or verse two. He considered himself a father to the Corinthians because God used him to start the church there. The Corinthian church was like Paul's own daughter, whom he handed over to Christ to be betrothed. Now, that word betrothed is an old-fashioned term that was part of the process when a man and a woman got married. The first step was betrothal. The second step was the wedding. The betrothal, step one, is a legal, initial, but not yet complete step. And the wedding, step two, is the final consummation of the marriage. And this is something important for, from verse two that we really need to sit on for some time. Who are we? Who are we if we believe in Jesus Christ as his disciple? Who are we if we consider ourselves a true Christian? And what Paul says here is that we are the bride of Christ. We are loved and chosen and forgiven, cleansed from our sin, now betrothed to the Savior and King of the universe. We are Christ's bride. 
And we are securely Christ's, faithfully waiting for him to return for the final wedding. Right now, we are fully loved, accepted, and belonging to God. And this is your identity. This is my identity. This is something for us to live up to, to live for. Um, in theological terms, our betrothal, the, the first step in our relationship with Jesus, is, is called, is, can be looked at as our justification. That means we are made right with God through Christ's sacrifice of his life as a substitute for our sins. We are legally made right before God by Jesus. So when God sees us, he no longer regards us as guilty of sin, but as righteous. We are credited with Jesus's righteousness, actually, to be precise. This is our status before God as soon as we believe in Jesus. And this status is secure throughout our whole lives as we trust in Jesus. Our wedding day, the second step in our relationship with Jesus is our glorification. This is when we will be united with Christ physically, perfectly, and forever. And this is the final goal, destination of our faith, to be faithful when he returns and when he takes us home to be with him for eternity. For friends here who do not yet know this, uh, this is the good news for you. God loves you with an everlasting love. He offers this salvation to you as a gift. And if you acknowledge that you're a sinner and that you can't do anything to save yourself, and if you put your, your trust in Jesus Christ as the only way your sins can be forgiven, the Bible promises that you will be saved. If you believe in Jesus, you are justified by faith in Christ, and you will be glorified when Jesus returns. And so I want to invite you to take that first step of receiving God's gift of salvation and to start your new relationship with God today. Second, let's talk about what they were called to be doing, or in Paul's words here, the path that they were to walk on as the church. The reason he did this was he was concerned that the Corinthian church, or at least a small number of them, within the church were being led astray by false apostles and by their false message. Paul wrote in verse 3 that he was worried that the saints in Corinth would be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So look at that carefully. You see, the Corinthians erred on being too open-minded. In Paul's words, they, were, they willingly listened when, they, when these supposed apostles proclaimed another Jesus than what he and his team proclaimed. They willingly received a different spirit than the Holy Spirit that they had received from Paul and his team. They willingly accepted a different gospel than the gospel they originally received when Paul founded the church. And these critical differences made Paul jealous. Now, this wasn't a human, selfish jealousy. He had a divine jealousy for them. His heart was God's heart for them, that they would be solely, undividedly Jesus's bride. He wanted them to know the truth about Jesus from the scriptures. He wanted them to receive the Holy Spirit who would guide them to the truth. He wanted them to accept the true biblical gospel and reject any and all counterfeits. In other words, Paul wanted them to have a sincere and pure devotion to Christ while they walk the path 
from justification to glorification. This path from justification to glorification is the theological term sanctification. It's growing in sincere and pure devotion to Jesus. That's a great way to think about sanctification. This leads us to the truth that I want to highlight here in this first point. Our goal as a church is to stay on the path of sincere and pure devotion to Christ until he returns. I want us to look at this graphic called the cross chart, and I got this from a website called the Gospel-Centered Life. Notice the two lines that split off from each other. The top line is a growing awareness of God's holiness. Not that God's holiness changes, but what changes is that as we're in relationship with God, we grow to understand how holy he actually is. Now, the bottom line that goes downward is a growing awareness of our flesh and sinfulness. By God's grace, we are changing more and more to be like Christ in our obedience and character. But also as we follow Jesus, we become more aware of how deep our sinfulness and depravity goes. As both happen on our path of sanctification, what happens is that Christ becomes bigger and bigger and more valuable and more treasured and more loved in our lives. And this is important because sometimes we wrongly think that we're saved by God's grace. On this chart, it's that inflection point where those two lines split. But, our sancti- but we, we falsely think that our sanctification is up to us. And what ends up happening is we start thinking that we have to perform or we start pretending that we're true Christians. Let me tell you, any thinking or teaching that makes us perform or pretend our false gospels. The truth is that we will always need the true biblical gospel in our lives. We need his grace because he is far more holy than we understand, that we have ever understood before. We are far more sinful than we have ever understood before. Our sincerity, our genuineness, and freedom from deceit grows Our pure devotion, that's love and loyalty to Christ, grows as we walk in true biblical gospel. So first, Paul distinguished the true gospel of Christ, exhorting the Corinthian church to discern the true gospel of Christ and and live it out together as a church. Now, second, let's see how Paul demonstrated the true gospel of Christ. Um, In verses 7 through 11, he made clear that his intentional practice of embodying Christ's values actually confirmed his authenticity as an apostle. So for this point, I'm going to specifically highlight this truth number two. Our responsibility as a church is to faithfully embody Christ's values no matter what the results may be. Let me explain what's going on between Paul and the Corinthian church that led to what he wrote. Paul's opponents accused him of not being a a real or reputable apostle because he didn't demand compensation for his ministry to them. Additionally, Paul's opponents accused him of not being qualified enough or learned enough as as an apostle because he worked to support himself as a tent maker for some time while he lived in Corinth. You see, back then, People who earned a living through manual labor 
were often looked down upon as inferior to those who earned a living through just thinking and talking, um, who had white collar jobs. And this, this same kind of incorrect mindset happens today too. So we're very familiar with it. Furthermore, Paul's opponents put the idea into the minds of some in the Corinthian church that Paul did not sincerely love them because he didn't exert his authority like the other more impressive supposed apostles. But contrary to what others said, Paul claimed in verse 10 that the truth of Christ was in him and that God knew that Paul did everything out of love for them. On a side note here, if you're, if you're thinking critically, uh, Paul's argument sounds a little like he said, she said, doesn't it? In that he claimed that he spoke the truth and his opponents claimed that they spoke the truth. For everything in this life, you, you, we can't just accept everything that people claim to be true. We need to discern what is true. And Paul made this claim in the beginning of this letter. In, in chapter 1, verse 1, he said that he was an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And then he challenged them in chapter 3 to think about the validity, validity of his ministry to them to examine the scriptures uh, themselves regarding what he taught them about Christ as God's promised King and Savior. And as they straightened this out and figured things out, they themselves collectively as a church would become his letter of recommendation. They would be the ones who confirm that he was a true apostle. And this was only a work of God's, uh, God's covenant of grace through the Holy Spirit in them. Uh, here's the first connection in this second part that I want to make for us. The power to transform is not the messenger, but the message. And this is a subtle point that Paul is making, but I want to say it very loud and clear to us here. Paul constantly makes clear in this letter and in other New Testament letters that in God's covenant of grace, God is the one who does this miraculous work of salvation in people's hearts. And therefore, it's really foolish to think that it's him at all that, that is responsible for the salvation of anyone and for the church. It, that it would be foolish for them to think that it was them that was responsible for regeneration, justification, sanctification, or glorification. The truth is, it was 100% the work of God's grace. So Paul certainly experienced a lot of good results in his ministry in Corinth. But he makes it clear that it was not his own doing or power that made it happen. So then there's another important question that comes out of this text. Why did Paul choose to do his ministry in this particular way? Why did he live the way that he did? It was because he wanted to distinguish himself from the false apostles who sought only to financially profit from their ministry, even claiming that their financial prosperity was a mark of their authenticity. And these super apostles impressed, were very impressive to the Corinthian believers with their personal charisma, their speaking eloquence, their abounding knowledge. This is also, it's also likely that these super apostles, so-called super apostles, had some good results in their ministry. Maybe people got introduced to Jesus. Maybe they started their journey of faith. Maybe they were stimulated to grow. But in contrast, and this is really, really important for us to see, Paul demonstrated the true gospel of Christ 
in a much different way than them. Even though his critics attacked him for the way he lived his life, Paul faithfully embodied Christ's values. Let's let's slow it down again and focus on a couple key phrases from this text that, that show my point and show why Paul chose to do his ministry in this particular way. In verse seven, he wrote, in humbling myself so that you might be exalted. So in verse seven, he, he, uh, he, he, some accused him of, of sinning, that he was doing something, doing the Corinthians wrong in accepting support from the Macedonian churches. But Paul said that he did this so that the Corinthians would be exalted. You see, he was willing to take, take on menial work and to appear weak and lowly in order for them to be saved by God and thus exalted. And by exalted, I believe that Paul meant that they were transformed into Christ's beautiful bride. This was their exaltation. Paul also said in verse 7 that he preached God's gospel to the Corinthians free of charge in order to serve them. You know, he was the one who followed the footsteps footsteps of Jesus himself by serving the Corinthians, not seeking to be served by them, not flexing his apostolic authority, but doing twice the work and by humbling himself so that they could see the true gospel through the way that he lived his life. And this is the second connection that I want to make for us here. The truth that I want to highlight from the second part, which is that our responsibility as a church is to faithfully embody Christ's values, no matter what the results may be. Remember that the results of ministry are 100% up to God. He can use anyone to do his will. What matters for us is how we conduct ourselves, how we embody the values that Christ values. Paul, he followed Christ's footsteps in his humility, service, and desire to build up others. Others criticized him for being that way, but this was Christ's way as well. I think this is also a takeaway um, as we consider the spiritual heroes who have fallen and failed us recently. There are plenty of examples of very famous people that you might have heard of, like Ravi Zacharias or Mark Driscoll. God might have used them in people's lives, maybe even some of our own lives here. I have my, my own personal spiritual heroes that have stumbled and fallen as well. It's been uh, really painful to see this happen. And, and, and more than that, I grieve for them. And, I, and mostly I grieve for the many who are negatively affected by these, um, by these fallen spiritual heroes. God can, and in many cases, does work because it is always by his grace. And what I would say for us is that the danger is of so many celebrity preachers who have these big media platforms, because the majority of people listening, people like you and me, do not have any idea if they truly faithfully embody Christ's values or not, because we don't know them personally. And sadly, many don't. But let's bring it a bit closer to home for us, for you and for me. Our responsibility as a church, this spiritual family, is to faithfully embody Christ's values in our daily lives too. And so it matters. It matters how we treat people that we work with. It matters how we speak to our family members. 
It matters how we conduct ourselves, what we do when no one else is looking, when no one else is around us. Do we embody Christ's humility? Do we embody his mercy and kindness? Do we embody Christ's purity in how we live? Now, like I mentioned before, this does not mean that we're, we have to perform or we have to pretend. This is walking, what is walking the sincere, the path of sincere and pure devotion is living in the biblical gospel. The path of sanctification promises true change of heart so that we actually do embody Christ's values more and more in our lives. Genuinely, we are humble, we're merciful, we're kind, and we're pure. Most of the time, what this means is just being honest and humble before God. This is really the first step that, that gets us back on the path of, of a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Not perfection, not performance, not pretending, but honest humble acknowledgement of our need for Christ. So first, Paul distinguished the true gospel of Christ. And second, Paul demonstrated the true gospel of Christ. And through that, he exhorted the Corinthians to discern the true gospel of Christ and to live it out together as a, uh, as a church. Finally, third, let's see how Paul defended the true gospel of Christ. In verses 12 through 15, he reiterated his commitment to defend the true gospel of Jesus and expose the false gospel of his opponents in Corinth. So for this point, I'm going to specifically highlight this, truth number three. Our best defense as a church is to learn the Bible and disciple one another to discern truth and falsehood. Uh, Paul said again uh, in verse 12, what I'm doing, I will continue to do. So what was, what was he doing again? He chose to not ask for money from the Corinthians for himself and for his ministry to them. He chose to even take on a second job as a tent maker if he needed in order to make ends meet. He did this to make sure that the Corinthians knew that the gospel of Jesus Christ was not something to sell to people in order to make money. He did this to make sure that the Corinthians knew that Jesus Christ valued humility and service and used hardships in his disciples' lives for their good and for his glory. He made sure to undermine the claim of those who claimed that their work was the same as Paul's work because it was not. Then Paul spoke very frankly and bluntly in verses 13 through 15. He said that these false apostles were literally servants of Satan himself. As Satan disguises himself often as an angel of light, so these false apostles disguised themselves as servants of righteousness. What this meant was that these false apostles appeared good. They appeared attractive. They appeared convincing. But in truth, they were evil, misleading, and deceitful. Paul said the good news is that they would eventually be exposed. On that judgment day, they would face ultimately the condemnation that their acts deserve. You know, I'm going to conclude soon. And I, what I need to do is just park on this a bit as a warning to all of us. What this compels us to do in light of how Satan disguises himself as an angel of light is that we have to really develop spiritual sharpness in discerning truth and what truly is from the Lord Jesus. 
How do we do this? First, we develop a sharpness in knowing and applying the word of God in our lives. This is biblical wisdom, isn't it? We know God's word and we're figuring out how to live it out in our lives. And the truth is that we all can know what the truth is by carefully examining and studying the scriptures for ourselves. We have that as our, at our disposal. Um, just for example, most of you know that we spent uh, the last six weeks in the, in the U.S. And during that time, our kids were exposed to a lot of American media. Specifically, there were a lot of things that we watched that depicted really um, confusing stuff about same-sex attraction and gender identity questions and, and other confusing stuff. And it was also challenging because some people very close to us have begun to identify themselves as gay. Um, you know, if left on my own, I, I'm not sure if I would have been able to think through clearly the biblical ideas and think through the issues on my own or how I would have addressed those things with our, with our kids. But thankfully, I had Nikki with me. And Nikki and I talked about it together. And that helped me process not only our convictions on it, our biblical beliefs, but also how to address it with both clarity and sensitivity and love. Uh, you know, it's easy to get it wrong when we're alone. But the truth of the matter is, is we're not alone. We can figure out things together as a, as a, as a church family. This is a, a somber and serious warning for us. And thankfully, this responsibility to defend the gospel, and by defend, what I mean is thinking and living consistently with the gospel, this responsibility to defend the gospel is a community effort. It's something we do together as a church body. We disciple each other by continuing to be life on life, which is especially important during this pandemic. And the issues don't have to be all that big. It could be day-to-day -day things about how to handle conflicts with our parents or how to address our own mental health issues or the mental health issues of our employees or colleagues. It could be simple things with how to relate with a neighbor who's a different religion than us and thinking through the biblical convictions that we have and, and how to apply it to those situations that we're in. And this is the third connection that I want to make here. This is the truth that I want to highlight in this third part again, which is that our best defense as a church is to learn the Bible and disciple each other to discern truth and falsehood. We gather together as a church in Sunday celebrations and in life group in order to give us opportunities to learn God's word together and then to discuss how its gospel truths ought to look like in our lives. A lot of times, that's not going to be neat. That's not going to be tidy. It will be messy. It will be confusing to figure out. And that is absolutely okay. When we're grounded in the Bible, we can then discuss how our daily lives are affected by the gospel in our families, in our dating, friendships, work and studies, in our motives and goals of life, in our conversations, in our sexuality, in our entertainment, in our hobbies and finances and everything else under the sun. And as we do this, and that's living life together, the greater clarity we will have in our following of Jesus Christ. As we walk the path of a sincere and pure devotion to Christ, 
We can't just do this by ourselves on our own, especially during this pandemic when we're locked down. We can't just do it by listening to sermons at home by ourselves. Even though we have to be online, it does not mean that we have to be alone. We are still the church. And let's fight for this. And let's all take on the responsibility for ourselves and for this body of Christ. All right, so I've talked for a while now how Paul distinguished, demonstrated, and defended the true gospel of Christ, how he exhorted the Corinthians and us to discern the true gospel of Christ and to live it out together as a church. Now let's go to the life application. These next steps are something that we can do right away, uh, as I mentioned already. And there are two personal questions that I want us to think about in light of today's sermon. First, what false gospels tempt you off the path of a sincere and pure devotion to the Lord? By false gospels, I mean any ways of thinking that are contrary to the gospel or any activities or even people that we look to for meaning or security. Identify these false gospels and repent of them turning to Jesus Christ as our salvation. It is he who justifies us, sanctifies us, and who will glorify us. And this leads us to the, to the next question. Second, what areas of your life do you need Christ to change so that you embody his values? Like I said before, a sincere and true devotion to Christ is not performing or pretending. Remember the cross chart. We grow in our awareness of God's holiness, we grow in our awareness of our flesh and sinfulness, and then our dependence upon Christ and his cross grows as well. And as he becomes greater in our lives, we can trust that he also changes us from the inside out. And those are the areas of life that we need Christ to change in us. Uh, in a moment, we're going to go back into breakout rooms for you to, one, share your thoughts, two, speak gospel truth and encouragement to each other. And three, if you have time, pray for one another. You know, it probably won't be enough time. So just want to encourage you, if you run out of time, you can reconnect with each other this week or make sure that you share it with other people, perhaps your spouse or, or with a friend. Uh, and just to, just to reiterate, for those of you who are a bit hesitant to interact or share with, with people in this medium, I'd like you to encourage, I'd like to encourage you to try. Uh, if you absolutely don't want to, no worries. Just join your breakout room and listen. Um, uh, actually, some breakout rooms, I think, might, may, might have more than um, two people in one low physical location, in which case you might just need to share more briefly and make sure that everyone gets, uh, gets to share. We'll get back together after 10 minutes then to close out our Sunday celebration together today. So we're going to break out right now.